Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark chapter 6. Today and next week, we're going to be looking at the issue of personal overload in a world that pushes us further, faster, farther. How much is going to be too much? Here's the key concept for this morning. We must resist the fatal flaws that lead to overload. Let me explain. New Year is here. The holiday is in the rearview mirror. A new year stretches out before you. It's like freshly fallen snow, you know, it's haven't been there yet. So let me ask you this question as we begin. Are you tired? Now, I don't mean, yeah, I could use a nap tired. I mean, are you existentially down to your core tired? Your toenails feel tired. Are you that kind of tired? I read about a woman, she said, I'm so tired, my idea of a great vacation would be to go to the dentist and just lay out in that chair. I mean, that's tired. She's forgotten about the fact that somebody's going to put their fingers in your mouth. That's tired. That's really tired. Maybe that's the way we feel, and if that's the way you feel, we have to fix it. So how do we fix it? Today and next week, I'm going to give you some advice from the best life coach there is, and that is Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus was God in the flesh, and He could have done anything He wanted at any time, He didn't do everything that needed to be done any day. In other words, when Jesus went to bed at night, every night that He lived on the earth, there were still people who needed healing. There were still people who needed help. He couldn't survey the situation and say, everything is fixed. Thank you very much. No. He had to put it aside and get some rest. And that's the issue that we're looking at today. Often he tried to slip away with his disciples to provide times of rest and refreshment. Look at chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark, starting reading in verse 30, and this is what we read. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Come away and get some rest. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I know what some of you are doing. If you have your Bible open on your lap right now, some of you are reading on to verse 33. (laughs) 
And you're reading, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. It didn't really work out. Jesus tried to get some rest with the disciples, but the only rest they got was the boat ride from point A to point B. I recognize that, but I want you to see Jesus' intention. His intention was that they would get some rest, that they would be replenished. Because Jesus knows what we have to come to understand, life has limits. The idea of a no-limit life is a lie, and I don't want you to fall for that lie. Jesus understood that his disciples had limits. He knows that you have limits. You have to know your limits. Tolstoy wrote a short story called, How Much Land Does a Man Need?, And in that short story, it's a story of a man named Packholm, and he hears about a wonderful opportunity in a far-off place. And that opportunity is this. For a thousand rubles, you can own as much property as you can walk around in a day. You have to start at dawn, and you have to be back to the starting point at sundown. But everything inside of the circle or square or however you walk is going to be your property. And Packholm said to himself, I can walk miles in a day. And so he decided to enter this sort of context. So at, at contest, at dawn, he set off. He paid the money, and he set off, and he was, had a little spade with him, and he dug little holes along the way to indicate the property line that he was establishing as he walked around the area. He went three miles, and he turned left, and it was a beautiful day. It was a wonderful piece of property. By noon, he looked back on the hill where he had started. And he saw that he could hardly see the little people that, that were up there. And he thought to himself, maybe I've gone too far. But he kept on. By mid-afternoon, his feet were killing him. His legs were sore. And he worried that maybe I'm being too greedy. So he started to run. He wanted to make sure that he got back to the top of the hill. And as he was making progress in, in running around this, this big piece of property that he wanted, he calculated to himself, I think I can make it just as the sun was, is coming down. But he forgot about the hill. The last portion of the run was going to be uphill. And as he started up that hill in the valley where he was, the sun in the shadow was already setting. But he ran up to the light. It was still light in the top of the hill. And as he got to the very top of the hill where the people were waiting for him, he jumped over the finish line just as the sun was setting. And the people broke out in applause. Congratulations, you, you made it, pack home. And they rolled him over, and he was dead. And they buried him right there. How much property does a man need? The lesson is, life has limits. And you have limits. Because he couldn't accept limits, overload happened. It's, imp- it's unpopular today to talk about limits. We live in a society that's always pushing us, pushing our limits, exceeding our boundaries. We're supposed to be go, go, go. This seeps into Christian mindset, to Christian circles. Philippians 4.13 becomes our favorite verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Have you seen it on bumper stickers? Here's what I've seen on some bumper stickers. I can do everything dot, 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 leaving out the most important part. Because here's the thing, you cannot do everything. You are woefully misquoting that verse, using it in that way. Because in the setting of Philippians chapter 4, Paul is talking about enduring suffering while he's in jail. 
And he's saying, I can endure all of this suffering because it's for the sake of Jesus and he's giving me the strength to endure it. He is not saying, if I believe it, I can achieve it. He's not saying, if I dream it, I can do it. This is not a slogan for no limits living. The Bible doesn't teach that you have no limits. It teaches that God has no limits. Your limits are given you by God, built into us so that we need to depend on Him and so that we don't overreach. But the mindset of not having any limits brings with it two fatal flaws. Here's the first one. The fatal flaw of always being on the go. Our society tells us that if you're not living a meaningful life unless you are always being on the go, and that is flawed. Does not, God does not require you to just go all out to burn out all the time. Put it this way. We all choose to stop eventually. We all close the book. We all turn off the light. We all hit the pillow eventually. And when we do that, the world's problems aren't solved. Your problems aren't all solved eventually. But somehow, we have to understand that even though the world keeps going and, and the time that we choose to turn off the light and get some sleep is arbitrary, uh, uh, what we have to do is back that up a little bit and choose to do that earlier. Choose to rest more. Pick up where you left off tomorrow because tomorrow will be another day. We don't have to be always on the go. That's a fatal flaw. And the second fatal flaw of a life that thinks it has no limits is a marginless life, no gaps, one thing to another, run, run, run. If you were to fly from Sacramento to Paris with a layover in New York, would you leave yourself just five minutes in Kennedy Airport to change planes? No, you, you know that's stupid. If you were to drive down the highway at 70 miles an hour, would you leave just six inches between you and the car in front of you? If so, don't drive behind me. <laughs> you need margins for error in life because something may go wrong. I may need a little space to adjust. We know that that's true, and it's true of the way you style your life as well. A margin is a space. A margin on a page is a physical space. A margin in your life is a space of time, a gap between one thing and the next thing that gives you a moment a time to reflect, a time to think, a time to prepare, to be ready. You see, sometimes this marginless life that we try to live actually springs from the way that we read the Gospels. Because if you read the story of the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, you might be tempted to think that Jesus just ran from one thing to the next, on, 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 go, go, go. Never a break, never a gap. It's totally wrong. If you add up all the, the time that we see Jesus at work in the Gospels, there's nowhere near three years of ministry. It doesn't add up. Jesus took long periods in between these things. Don't forget he walked everywhere he went. Long walks with the disciples, times of alone time and resting with them that build margins into his life. And we need to be more like that, quite frankly. And when you have a margin filled life, you will be replenished in three ways. First of all, physically, you'll have more strength because you'll be more rested. Secondly, emotionally, 
You'll be better able to cope with things that come, that little margin for error. If something goes wrong, I know I can handle it because I'm not pressured by that next thing. And you'll be better financially as well. Maybe you didn't think about that, but the truth is this. What happens, what we cram into our life all times is costing us money. I have to have coffee with these three people in one day just to make sure I'm catching up with them. And, and after, after all that coffee, not only am I spending my money, I'm wired on caffeine, right? And then I have to have lunch with this person and go shopping with this person. Everything costs money. And we'll be better able to handle life with a margin, a marginless life brings us to overload. There's no such thing as limitless living. That's number one. Number two, remember this, progress is pushy. That's a good little slogan. Progress is pushy. One man says this, progress is when we work real hard to make things as good as they used to be. That is cynical. But the cynicism embedded there is because even though we like progress, it feels like it is pushing us too much. We feel overloaded at the push of progress, and it does push us. Every year we encounter more information, more technology, more choices, more alternatives, more change, and it comes faster and it pushes us along. It leads you to overload, and you can't blame progress because that's what we want progress to be. We want it to push us further along. I mean, what if General Motors would come out with a car guaranteed to only go slow? Would you buy that car? I mean, imagine the commercial. Our new model, the sloth. <laughs> you buy this car, you're guaranteed never to get out of the slow lane. You're never going to keep up with traffic. People are going to be honking at you all the time and passing you and making gestures that you don't like. <laughs> don't you want that? No, nobody wants that. That's not progress. Progress moves us forward. It moves us faster, but it will push you to overload. And when it's coming, the symptoms are there. Anxiety, problems with sleep, fatigue, digestion problems, headaches, depression, irritability. It takes the joy out of living. There are some fatal flaws that comes along with allowing progress to push you. Number one, the fatal flaw of always being accessible. We live with the expectation that we can be reached at all times by our technology. I read in the Wall Street Journal not too long ago, there was an ad for some gadget. And the tagline on the bottom of the, of the advertisement was this. The good news is the office can always reach you. The bad news is the office can always reach you. Yeah. Just like you build margins of time into your life, you need to build gaps of your accessibility into your life. Because the phone, the texts, the email, the tweet, whatever it is, it's breaking in on your life. It's breaking in on your thoughts. It's taking you hostage and carrying you in that moment to a place that you weren't planning on going. We need to be unaccessible at some times. No, I'm not anti-technology, but you need to have rules in the way that you use your technology, and it needs, these rules need to be in place in 2020. Number one, set boundaries. Here's a boundary. Don't take a call from a number you don't recognize. You're not a bad person if you don't take a call from that number that you don't recognize. If they don't leave a voicemail, you didn't want to talk to them anyway. So just set that boundary. Number two, disconnect. 
Now, I know this sounds like heresy, but there's got to be some time when you turn the phone off. Start slow. Take a walk around the block and leave the phone on the table. You can do it, right? Tell your relatives, I'm going down to the gym. I'm not going to have my phone with me. Don't call me. Tell your friends, I'm going to church on Sunday morning. Don't call me. Pastor Mark gets angry when the phones go off in the service. (laughs) This could be a great disconnect time. Okay, did you silence your phone just then? But it's, it's important that we have times when we're not connected so not, in order to be uh, not so accessible. Otherwise, people and things and ideas will t- take us off into a new direction. Number two is the fatal flaw of not prioritizing. Our society equates busyness with worth, so it's tempting to see that as long as I'm busy, no matter what I'm busy with, people think that I'm, I'm worth something. So I say yes to all kinds of things. And we don't prioritize what's really important. Jesus helps us with this. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, some things are first things. Prioritize those first things. Care about the things that God cares about first. And you say, well, what does God care about? He tells us right then in that verse. He he cares about his kingdom, which means his active rule. He cares about his righteousness, which is the, the way he wants us to live. And so as the year begins, we do well to ask the question, where in all the activities that I'm going to get into this year, where does the rule of God get expanded because of what I'm doing? That should be first. Where in all the things that I'm going to do am I demonstrating the righteousness of God in the way that I do it? Jesus says those things should be first. That's the first priority. Now, sometimes we need help establishing our priorities, help setting goals and getting a pathway to achieve those goals. And very often at the beginning of a year, we're talking about that, thinking about that. Here's what I want you to know. Next week, we're going to offer you an uh, informational meeting in our, for our coaching ministry. It may be that you would benefit from working with someone who's been trained as a coach to kind of set goals, establish priorities. Next week at 11.30, you can go to that informational meeting for free and hear about how you can get, get connected with the person to help you do just what I'm talking about here. But it's important that we do it. Here's why. Because there is a truth about every person. And the first truth is this. Everyone is different. We have different capacities. I'm talking about limits here today, but I realize that we don't all have the same limits. You are very different people. But I want you to know your limit, the way that God has constructed you with your divine design and live inside that sensible limit so that you can find rest and replenishment from him. Have you ever heard of a, of a man named Bear Grylls? Is that a name that's familiar to you? He used to have a show called Man vs. Wild. Is that, I don't know, maybe it's still on. Man, I went to a conference this summer, and he was one of the speakers. Do we have his picture? There he is. Man versus Wild. Looks like Wild is winning to me in that picture. But <laughs> in any event, he was one of the speakers. I'd never heard of the man. I spent the first five minutes of his talk 
obsessing over, could Bear Grylls be his real name? I mean, <laughs> I had to get over that, to be honest with you. But once I got over that, I was listening to him, and he talks about doing things that are way past my limits. He talks about killing and gutting and sleeping in the carcass of a wild animal on a cold night. Ew. <laughs> he talks about eating the raw heart of an animal that he's just killed. Ew, right? Jumping off waterfalls, swimming with snakes, and the list goes on and on. He gave us this whole list of stuff. His limits are not my limits. He wants to go out and eat bugs. I'm looking for a good pizza, <laughs> right? Everybody's different, but don't use your limits as an excuse to do nothing and don't adopt somebody else's limits. God has designed you to be you. Everybody's different. Here's point number two. Everybody's the same. We all have limits. No one is infinite except God. You need to draw the line somewhere. Yes, there are exceptional people, but there are no exceptions to this rule. Listen to the inner voice of your Savior, because He is saying to us just what He says to His disciples. As they're go, go, go in ministry and, and busy, He says, let's, let's come away and go to a solitary place and find some rest. Jesus can show us how to avoid overload. Let's follow Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the good advice we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that his example shows us a life well lived, and we want to model that. And so, Lord, we, we trust that you have good ideas for us. We trust that you have a good way, and we pray that you're able to let us follow. So give us good decisions. Enable us to be around people who support wise living, holy living, righteous living, and the living that gives you glory and praise. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, in a moment after we're dismissed, we'll have some prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. I'd like you to stand with me because before we, we are dismissed, we're going to sing a song. And this is a good song to start the new year with, a good idea to keep in mind. It goes like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. One more time. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Lord, as we leave this place, we leave reassured that you are worth trusting. So help us in the year and in the week that is ahead to live for you. If we need to, enable us to make new decisions, new choices that would represent you well. And Lord, we pray that as people watch us, listen to us, see the lives that we live, they would know that we are the property of Jesus. Dismiss us with your blessing. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.